in the old world of monolithic systems, I think you see there are no open APIs and, and people do not facilitate any rapid integration of best of breed systems. And in a world where there's a volatile market, you need to be able to move quickly. So I think advisors need to control the user experience and the client experience much more than, say, the vendor. When Bry Ross worked as a systems engineer for NASA, he spent almost a decade building software simulations for the Galileo and Voyager space probes, as well as the Hubble Space Telescope. Testing was of critical importance, since even a single bug could turn a billion dollars of hardware into a lump of useless space junk. Little did he know that one day he'd be running a company that also relies on simulators to test their software. But instead of controlling scientific equipment like plasma spectrometers and planetary radio receivers, FixFlyer is routing trillions of dollars of trades through their order management system and advanced trading network. I spoke to Brian about how the API economy is forcing a shift in how firms build software, how his firm is supplying the core plumbing of some of the biggest technology vendors in wealth management, as well as a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. It's always nice to spend some time with all of you here in the world of wealth tech. This is the phase two reopening version of the WM Today podcast, and I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz. I run a consulting company called Ezra Group. We help wealth management firms and wealth tech vendors make better business and technology decisions through our advice and research. On this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in our industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. And before I forget, please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, as well as share on your social media. We really, really appreciate it. And I'd like to welcome my guest for this episode of the Wealth Management Day podcast, I have Brian Ross, CEO of FixFlyer. Hey, Brian, how are you doing? Good. Good to be here, Craig. Appreciate you taking the time with me today. Uh, likewise, I'm glad you're here uh, in this time of year. Uh, so uh, we're here to talk about uh, a lot of interesting stuff. And you know, we've been talking about getting this podcast going for some time, so I'm glad you could make it as well. Yeah. So can you give uh, people listening a quick overview of FixFlyer? Yeah, I mean, FixFlyer is a provider of wealth tech. Uh, we really help a lot of participants in the marketplace achieve a lot of efficiency with regard to middle and back office, with regard to trading, with regard to cloud services and, and leveraging the new tools that are available to people. We're big providers of APIs, a big believer in that marketplace, and a big believer that there's a new opportunity today to try to bring uh, new services to the marketplace. At a, at a very high level, we believe that the way... Most advisors have been taught to work is perfectly suited to a world that no longer exists. Those are sort of the on-prem monolithic closed systems that don't uh, respond well in volatile markets and don't work well in a world of rapidly evolving tech. So we, we've taken sort of a new approach to all that. We do have a modern tech platform, a very SaaS-based platform, 
open APIs for portfolio trading and connecting to all the uh, participants in the marketplace, whether they're advisors or broker dealers or custodians. Talk a little bit, bit about the history of fixed flyers. This firm, you've been around a long time. Yeah, we have been around a while. So really, I spent, and I personally have been around a while, I spent some time at NASA, I spent some time at BlackRock, uh, nine years at BlackRock, uh, developing some of the trading systems over there. Back in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, we started uh, Fixed Flyer around 2006. And uh, really, originally, a little bit more capital markets facing in terms of infrastructure. But we did get some early wealth management firms as clients, including Placemark, Portfolio Dynamics, uh, Market Street Advisors, now called Archer and others. And they helped us really build out our trading network and some of our order management capabilities. So that's kind of how we got started. Still have a sort of capital markets business and a wealth management business that's really flourishing these days. So that's the fastest growing part of our market today is management. How did your time at NASA help you? How are you leveraging that time at NASA with your with <laughs> working at Fixed Fly, building this one of the largest trading networks in the industry and, and one of the biggest order management product? How did you leverage that? Anything you, any lessons you learned at NASA that you're taking you're using here? Well, I mean, one of the things you had to do uh, at NASA was really work on good specifications and really get get things right. Uh, so that, you know, when you, when you fly by, do a flyby of, of Neptune, you only get one shot. And the world of Wall Street was sort of different. It was sort of much more agile, much more get it done right now. But I learned a lot about sort of organizing uh, meetings and teams to really move forward and build, you know, robust platforms and uh, advanced technology to try to be efficient. You know, things like simulation is very important at NASA. And we do a very good job of that at, at Fixed Flyer as well, because we can simulate any, you know, connection to any counterparty and help people uh, with their workflows and such. So, yeah, I think I learned a lot there. I also picked up two master's degrees while I was there. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the API economy. This is uh, something I know you wanted to discuss. So why is now the time for the API economy? You know, why didn't this happen five years ago? I think it's an interesting question. I think there are firms that did attempt it five years ago. And I think one of the things they tried to do was the APIs they were creating was all about, they were all about bringing the user of the API into their monolithic system or into their world. They weren't about trying to do the kinds of things that you see Plaid or Stripe do, where they're more focused on the end customer. So in the old world of monolithic systems, I think you see basically this closed world where there are no open APIs and, and people do not uh, facilitate any rapid integration of best of breed systems. And uh, in a world where there's a volatile market, you need to be able to move quickly. So I think advisors need to control the user experience and the client experience much more than, say, the vendor. And in these old systems, like five, six years ago, I think you saw vendors trying to just use an API to bring people into a closed system. That's very different than what you see with someone like Plaid or Stripe, where they're really trying to create a developer tool set that allows the tech person, either at a vendor or at an advisor, create a user or advisor experience for the end client, for the end customer. So we're taking a different approach 
at this, at the APIs, and, and we, you know, we have REST-based APIs. We're building uh, all sorts of tools, but in particular, uh, we've been focusing on, focusing on portfolio trading and, uh, and our trading model. So I've got a programming background, but I'm not sure all the audience does. Can you explain what a RESTful API right, versus a non-RESTful API? REST is basically enables you to, you know, do things like, um, you know, reference a web URL through what are called JSON or JavaScript objects. So you can write just simple JavaScript code to access an URL on the web and you know, give it a set of parameters that's in the JSON object to a server that exists on the other end of the web. And it'll you know, do all sorts of stuff for you and return all sorts of information and allow you to get all sorts of data back. So it's a REST API allows you to really rapidly build things on top of, you know, server-based code that others have already constructed. And to do so with almost like HTML type of efficiency, it's very different than some of the other, you know, previous API technologies. One thing I've read a lot about where they're talking about banking as a service, where APIs are enabling banking to no longer be something you, somewhere you go, but a service you can provide. And would you say that order management would also become a service if it could be accessed by APIs? Well, we certainly hope so. And uh, we think it goes beyond that. I think we think it extends, we believe it extends to all of wealth management, which could include portfolio management. It could include compliance management, position management. Certainly already is we've helped firms like Risk Alliance build order management tools. Connected trading is an example of that. The risk management, the riskalyzed platform that that we helped. So I, I think uh, that's exactly right. Firms like Stripe kind of enabled a lot of the internet commerce tools out there, website tools and stuff. Firms like Plaid really built on top of APIs, again REST APIs to connect banking to millennial apps. I mean, it's it's time for wealth tech to embrace APIs, and it hasn't happened yet. People are still stuck in this old world. Why is that important? Why can't firms just use a big vendor and say, look, you guys handle it all. We don't want to deal with that. It's not our business. What, what's the advantage that if a wealth manager firm would have by accessing these APIs versus just giving it all to a vendor? I think the most immediate thing is you control the advisor experience. You control the user experience and the UI and the UX. So you're not stuck with whatever the vendor is providing you. And a lot of the big vendors are not very reactive because they have so many clients that they have to respond to. So it can take a long time to get new features. If you control the advisor experience, you control the UI, you know, you can move pretty quickly to add new features as long as the API has a lot of, uh, you know, power behind it in terms of, in terms of functionality. We're getting a little more techie than I expected. Yeah. I'd like to take a break from this interview to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit charitable foundation that raises money to provide funding for advisors' charities, charities that financial advisors are working with are dedicated to. And I've been working with them for quite some time and honored to be part of their judging panels to select the advisors' charities who get funding. And are awarded uh, big checks, uh, checks forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars at a time, that really help these charities out. And the, they have a number of different award categories. And the one that we just did the the award, uh, the judging, I won't tell you who won, but it was the Global Impact Award. So these are 
advisors and charities that help people all over the world. And just we were we reviewed eight different charities that advisors were helping, and they were in countries like Haiti, Kenya, Nicaragua, Uganda, South Africa, where they're helping orphans, uh, people, uh, children who are orphaned due to HIV/AIDS in South Africa, or orphaned for other reasons in Uganda, and have you know and are, are sleeping on on dirt floors. And how do we help them? Uh, raising money to to build schools, to build to build uh, medical facilities, to teach different skills, to help them uh, build out businesses, whether they're raising animals or they're working with computers or they're uh, learning other skills and making different uh, communities self-sufficient. So many good causes. It was very difficult for us to pick which one of these uh, worthy causes were, were getting the awards, but you'll find out in a couple weeks which one won. And in the meantime, you should go to investinothers.org and make a donation, get your company to make a donation. And if you're a financial advisor, consider submitting yourself or having someone submit you and the work you're doing with your charity to the Invest in Others Foundation. Maybe you can get an award for your charity next time. Uh, there's a lot. This is happening all the time throughout the year. And they're having their big, uh, I, think, I think, a big golf event uh, at the end of the summer. Hopefully, they'll be able to have that where they raise a lot of money. And again, go to investinothers.org and help out. Thanks a lot. Why do you think vendors having too much control over the experience is a bad thing? Well, I think there was a time and place. Uh, and uh, historically, I think it was really required to create sort of efficiencies and to, to bring the full you know, breadth of tools uh, to the marketplace. Uh, there's been a lot of really cool stuff done with financial planning and uh, portfolio management and, and such over the course of the last 10 years. And you know, a lot of firms are very sort of embedded in the marketplace and do a great job. And, you know, if you're happy and content with all that, that's great. But I think in this marketplace, a lot of those monolithic or even on-prem or closed systems don't allow you to be very reactive. And, you know, you might have to have someone in the office, right? In the middle of a pandemic, uh, rebooting systems and controlling, uh, doing some sysadmin. This is a new world that we're in. I think things have, have, have shifted. And, and it's, uh, it's a time when sort of, you know, SaaS and API providers can really help bring uh, new ecosystems to the marketplace that give a chance for, you know, tech leaders within advisor firms or developers there to kind of really showcase best of breed tools that they can assemble into their own ecosystem and they can control. And they can swap out one API provider for another if they want. They're not beholden forever to a vendor, right? Which is really what happens. But is that really, that's not best for everyone. I mean, there's there's some firms right. that, you know, I know we talked to a lot of companies, they look, it's better to, for you to use a monolithic platform because you're going to get one, you know, it's one throat to choke. Yep. So, or, right, so APIs can have a downside as well. Yeah, I think you don't want too many. I think that's very true. So, yeah, they can have a downside if there's, if there's too many or the integration is not clean. And you have to be, I think, leveraging some of the newer APIs out there if you really want to have easy ability to kind of swap in and out. But I think you make a good point. And I think there's a lot of good, uh, you know, a lot of great providers out there. We work with a lot of them and we help support a lot of them and really, uh, Try to deliver new uh, capabilities to a lot of them, and that can include additional asset classes that we facilitate trading. It could include connectivity. It could, could include order management and other features as well. That's that's a good segue to my next question. So, 
your partners are impressive. Okay. So on your website, we have Riskalyze and, and Morningstar and Tamarack and, and Orion. And these are firms that are very smart, have very strong technology uh, teams. Why didn't they just build this themselves? Why would they go to you for the order management system? I think there's a, maybe you can look at each of them individually and kind of come up with reasons why, you know, we were a good solution for them. So uh, someone like uh, InvestNet, we've been with a very long time. We do a lot of managed service for them. They bought firms that have been our longtime clients, like Fula Dynamics and, uh, and Placemark. And indeed, they were on our network, InvestNet was, uh, prior to even those acquisitions. So they've been using our order management system for trading for a very long time. And we do some very good things. When you've got tens of thousands of cash, you need to block them up very rapidly, get them traded, and then executed in the marketplace and allocated back out to tens of thousands of accounts. We really do that very fast. So we help someone like InvestNet get their investment strategies implemented in the marketplace quicker than other providers. And so that's an example. They, they take our whole OMS and network, use it. Someone like Riskalyze had a different need. They had uh, you know autopilot uh, doing some rebalancing, but out of autopilot, and Tamarack indeed was kind of like this as well. They would create order files. They would, you would actually have to go you know, and manually upload to custodian sites in order to get them executed. You wouldn't get real-time information back. So a lot going on in the tech world uh, with these firms, and they had all sorts of initiatives underway, like could be financial planning or, you know, BI or something else. And so leveraging a, a firm that had already been through all this creation of order management functionality and had open APIs connected to all the brokers and custodians made it almost like a no-brainer for them to either take our platform as a GUI, like Tamarack did, or take our API like Riskalyze did and roll out connected trading. It took them, both of those firms, only a couple of months to introduce new features from us into their world. So that's the sort of power that you get with APIs and the power you get with, you know, technology that's agile and can integrate quickly into other systems. Let's move on to uh, when you, something you mentioned before is additional asset classes. So a lot of firms are, you know, a lot, a lot of firms are thinking about adding asset classes to help their advisors differentiate. And also with, with low interest rates, they're looking for opportunities to uh, increase returns. So how do, what are some of the asset classes you're seeing firms adding that they didn't have access to before? Yeah, I think the most obvious uh, there uh, are things like fixed income, all types of fixed income, you know, munis, corporates, treasuries, high yield, other kind of mortgage bonds as well as options, futures, things like multi-leg. We handle things like that in our trading platform and our network is really asset class agnostic. So we handle even like swaps and, you know, could be an interest rate swap, default swaps, could be structured products. Uh, we do a lot of work on our network that is sort of um, agnostic of asset class other than sort of workflow changes between asset classes. So we kind of had a really good foundation in that. Uh, based on our network. And from that, we kind of started layering in more functionality, more advanced functionality into our OMS and our tool sets so that people could, you know, quickly do things like fixed income or options or multi-leg tech trading. So we're going to see very soon here, you know, an announcement from Tamarack where we're rolling out more fixed income uh, order management capabilities for them. 
And I think uh, as well, we'll see additional, uh, you know, related uh, asset classes with some of our other providers over time. So talking about fixed income, what are you seeing in yeah. terms of advisors trading fixed income? I mean, they can always do it through an ETF or a mutual fund. Are more advisors trading individual bonds? I think you certainly see that with you know the larger advisors. Uh, I think ETS and mutual funds are maybe the most common way to address it, particularly if you're mid-sized or smaller. So almost all of them do that, looking for you know specialized uh, applications for some portfolios, and they need you know muni bonds in Kentucky or muni bonds in California or something like that for some tax advantage reason. So there are lots of lots of uh, accounts out there that need specialized uh, attention, and certainly fixed income can help in that sort of um, you know in the world of, of tax management. But it's also important just in terms of reducing and controlling risk and you know reducing and controlling sort of your uh, your income if you're more income focused, uh, older maybe, and you don't want too much inequities. A lot of the um, Wealth management firms are very focused on sort of equities, ETS, and mutual funds without addressing the other asset classes, which can really be used to control risk and hedge risk and provide additional return. And I think we see it a lot in some of the, you know, from mid-size up, uh, you do see a lot more. I think, I think as well, the tool sets haven't really been there, but as firms like Flyer come into the marketplace to really try to help wealth managers you know, block up fixed income assets in different accounts that need to be traded. You you get to a size that becomes more reasonable in a fixed income world to trade and then allocate back to all the accounts. So part of it's technology, I think, and part of it is is sort of need in terms of uh, income and risk control and things like that. A lot of firms, uh, a lot of vendors that I see, uh, even, even the bigger platforms, don't really support individual bonds. I see people what. I won't mention the platform with the platform screen and then they've got a Bloomberg next to them and they're switching back and forth. Oh, here's the cues of a bond. I'll buy that bond. And you know, how, is that world going away? I think over time it will. I think uh, some of the initial implementations that, that we're rolling out are going to still require you to get them executed through, you know, your home office or on market access trade web or Bloomberg. But I think over time you'll see more, and more functionality going right into the platform in terms of our queue and actual trading. But uh, the initial release that's slated for next week is gonna, gonna be a little bit like that uh, in terms of really allowing you to block up lots of orders from say Tamarack and then being able to do something with those big blocked orders. You see them on your staging block blotter, you can do things with that uh, asset that's in your blotter. And if you want to like do it through Bloomberg or TradeWeb or market access or your, you know, uh, you know, port, your custodian's uh, portal or whatever you can. Um, and some of those platforms will allow, you know, feedback directly into the blotter so you can see it. You still need to allocate it out to all your accounts. So that's also part of the, part of the order management system as well. Well, how about different connections? So, I mean, I think connections are, are one of the most important things about having a network. Uh, you know, are you guys growing a lot of connections and where, what yeah. are you seeing in terms of trends with, with different, with connecting between vendors, custodians, advisors, wealth management firms? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we have really the fastest growing network in wealth management today. So over $4 trillion traded in the last 12 months, over 1,500 advisors, uh, you know, we're adding about 60, almost 60 uh, connections uh, a month to the platform. 
So the, the, the platform is really going quickly. And part of the reason for that is because, you know, single API in and you can get mutual funds, equities or any asset class you want. So we simplified it in again, you know, the, the input in by, you know, through an API. And then, you know, having it connect. Explain, can I interrupt you a second, Brian? So you say single API in, what does that mean? Well, I mean, we offer a couple different APIs into our network, but a firm for, let's just take an example, Orion uses our network and they uh, previously were using another network provider and they had a different uh, connection for mutual funds, a different connection for equities. And if they wanted to add another asset class, it would have been yet another API. So with us, it's a single API. You know, it makes the implementation and it provides sort of a single pipe in. And that's important. And then on the other side, we're connected to all the brokers and custodians you can imagine. So all the big four wealth management custodians um, and, and everybody kind of below that as well, really. Uh, a lot of retail platforms, a lot of warehouses, a lot of broker dealers, uh, and asset managers as well. So the network is, you know, really quite important. Uh, it handles more than just orders, executions, and allocations. It has some start of day capabilities as well as end of day capabilities, and we're adding things like risk controls as well. So it's a, it's an important piece to uh, to our service and all of our co-pilot tools you know, for order management, compliance management, position management, and such are built on top of the network which makes it very quick in terms of getting, uh, getting things processed and out to uh, the execution venue and back into the account. So, you know, one of the big focuses there is really trying to, you know, especially in a volatile market where the market's moving pretty rapidly, you need to shrink the time between the portfolio manager's decision to do something and the actual implementation of that. So you don't want delays where rebalancing takes a long time and where locking up all the orders takes a long time and then getting it to the right uh, place in the market takes a long time and the allocations back take too long. So you need to condense that. And we've been very efficient in that regard. And, uh, you know, it can be with our platform doing all that can be done in a matter of minutes. And if you just want to do the trading piece, it's really just single click and can get done extremely quickly. One of the reasons why I think a lot of people haven't heard about you necessarily is because you're kind of in the plumbing layer, even though it's, it's critically, if, if your house didn't have plumbing, you'd be, you'd be out of luck, right? Uh, but everyone sort of takes it for granted that that just, just happens. I place a trade and it just goes. So how does it happen that, or, or how do you see that becoming more, more of an important part of the way wealth management firms are working? Well, again, I think APIs play a key role. So you, you do have the network layer. And as we roll out more uh, functionality on top of the network, so order management, position management, portfolio management, compliance management, these sorts of tools, all available through APIs, then you start to expose a lot of functionality to advisor firms and their you know, uh, developers. And, you know, as you do that, I think you really empower a lot of the advisors and their developers to really start to build new tools and new ways to control the advisor's experience with, uh, with the whole process. So, um, yeah, I think it's, a, it's really a critical piece. And it's one of the unique things about us. We've got this, this rapidly growing network and this, this tool set of, of functionality around workflows that are important to wealth management. 
such as trading and portfolio management, compliance management, position management. On a platform like ours, you can, if you're a portfolio manager and you want to swap out Pepsi for Coke or Microsoft for Apple, a single click, even though you have tax lots across all sorts of accounts, you know, you can actually get it done very quickly, swap out of one asset into another asset and have it proceed without doing some massive rebalance and then, you know, a set of manual uploads to various locations. So yeah, we, we, we have tried in some ways and maybe it's, maybe it's kind of coming a little bit from some of my experience with BlackRock, you know, to try to bring some of the tool sets that you see at a place like BlackRock to try to bring efficiency there. And, you know, they were very advanced and still are very advanced in a lot of core things like the message layer. They were very good at sort of spreading information around the whole uh, you know, BlackRock community, uh, uh, whether it's clients or, or support staff with a centralized data set, their database. So I don't, I don't want to turn this into a BlackRock ad, but uh, you know, I, I learned a fair amount there. And we've tried to leverage some of that in our messaging layer, in our network yeah. layer, and in our tool set as we expand. So, I mean, it's not it's not a bad company to emulate. Yeah, I feel very lucky to have ended up there for nine years. Uh, when I joined them, it was ninety, end of ninety four actually to date me, uh, and um, they had about twenty two billion under management and about one hundred fifteen or one hundred and ten maybe employees. And it just went through, it was a really a boutique bond firm back then that specialized a lot in mortgages and was expanding into munis and corpus and other things. And the, the growth that they had in those, uh, you know, and continue to have, it's just been staggering and impressive. Do you see them, you know, the, the bigger are going to be getting bigger and they're going to squeeze out all the smaller asset managers? I think it's an interesting question. I think, uh, I think they're, you know, really all about efficiency and, and AUM and, and, and they are through model management and proliferation of iShares and ETFs, they're really continuing to do well. I think it's an interesting question. I think there will be pressure on some of the smaller or mid-sized asset managers to really build out tech and to find tech providers that allow them to be, you know, agile. I think it's why you see firms like Invesco buying firms that do tech. And, you know, that's happened a couple of times. You know, MyVest was acquired, uh, Portfolio Pathways was acquired, Advisor Engine was acquired. I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of the acquiring firms compete against a firm like Black. But what do you see in the, what's, what's the pattern here? What are these firms going to do with when they're buying up? Why are they buying these tech? Well, I, I think one of the reasons is because they want, they want a, you know, proliferation of their ETFs and, and they want to grow their AUM. And, and they, they know that it's hard to compete against really a monolithic firm like BlackRock and asset management today. They're really, you know, big kahuna and uh, they've got advanced tech uh, stack. That's, uh, you know, really uh, continue to aggregate assets and um, they're penetrating wealth management and doing a very effective job of that. Even when I was a BlackRock 15 years ago, you know, they were, it was more than that actually, 17, 18 years ago. They were focused on wealth management then. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, develop my own tech company focused on wealth management. Uh, although we started more capital markets facing, we really turned towards wealth management. A lot of that came from, you know, Larry Fink and his initiatives. And he's done it a lot through acquisition and through really sophisticated 
tech and, and really building out risk management and tools that allow them to be very efficient at very real time with regard to you know, their assets under management. Mm-hmm. So let me go back to uh, sophisticated tech and talk about APIs again. So how can, vend- now, how can firms know, how do they know how to evaluate a vendor's API stack? to know whether it's good or not, some of this you work with. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I've got an answer off the top of my head. I, I think you do need uh, to try to understand if they're trying to suck you into their monolithic world or are they really trying to help you build an ecosystem that you control and manage. So I would caution against trying to take the entire stack from just a single vendor if you really want control. Um, you probably need to roll some of your own as well. Uh, so you have a little bit more control, but um, you know if it's not if it's not sort of at least uh, you know web services or REST-based API, you're probably dealing with an older vendor, and I think you want to be careful there. I think you can look around the marketplace and see what some of these guys like AWS and uh, Plaid and Stripe and these other guys are doing uh, with regard to their platforms, and if, and if your provider is not doing those sorts of things then it would be maybe a concern. One thing you mentioned earlier was simulation. You talked about your experience at NASA and simulating. And I don't see a lot of vendors with, with decent simulation. Usually the testing is, they go, you know, they get a dummy account and they enter some trades in it and then they got to see the trades run through. But there's really no automated simulation. How does that work and why is that important? Yeah, I mean, we, we do it. And uh, yeah, I think testing as a service in general is, is going to be a bigger and bigger field. And it's sort of untapped right now. Uh, anybody that is developing software needs to simulate the counterparties that uh, they're connecting to and needs to simulate their own product before they do a big release. So, you know, that can be, you know, software that you build, that can be software that you license that can be a service. So we have something we call Certifier that's really kind of testing as a service really. So we've got you know, thousands of tests in this thing. It's on net and available through REST and through, you know, if you want through, through other ways such as uh, fixed connectivity. So you can access this library and, you know, make sure that your new release of software is, uh, is working. So if you're trying to rapidly, you know, going back to, to RiskLize when they were really trying to lever our our trading API, our portfolio trading tools to, to get connected trading going. It really is very important to be able to simulate because you need to, you know, if you want to try to get someone like, I hate to use names, but someone like SunGuard on the line to do a certification with, you know, a company like Fidelity, you've got to schedule it way out in the future. But if you've got a simulator immediately available 24 seven to test any time the developer wants, you can move very quickly. So you save a huge amount of time. And then anytime you're doing a big release, you can run through a set of couple hundred tests or you know, even 50 tests to make sure everything checks out. You're in a much stronger position. So it really is a, a developer-facing uh, tool that really helps people be more efficient with regard to release cycles and, and agile development. Now, we, got, we're, we are really pleased with that. So it sort of gives... Adv- it sort of gives um programmers, I remember when I was programming, it makes you almost like a superhero. If you can run all those tests before actually connecting yeah. to the custodian, your code is going to be really clean. It's certainly got a much, yeah, it's certainly got a, 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 you know, a much better chance of being very clean. 
So, you know, that, uh, you know, ability to simulate all the different brokers and custodians is really important to any, any tech provider on the buy side. So we also flip the whole thing around so that sell sides can test buy side incoming flow. So there's, there's, you know, exchanges that want to simulate incoming sell side flow. It's a, it's a service that's really kind of growing, not just a domestic service, but it has international and global um, mm-hmm. capability as well. Sure. Especially with, with volatility increasing then the, the volume increasing. Yeah, it's just been crazy. You know, COVID has really kind of brought this new era. It's almost this tectonic shift where, you know, uh, you've got to be agile and you need to be able to get your investments done quickly. Your strategies need to be implemented quickly. Your new releases need to be tested and rolled out quickly. If you've got an API, you need to be able to uh, get it implemented and rolled out quickly. You need to be agile in this marketplace. And certainly, you know, uh, the pandemic has accelerated a lot of trends, whether it's sort of remote, you know, client management or remote sales or conferences that are now online or the things we were talking about, which is more around implementation and uh, portfolio strategy and trading and simulation. They're all tied to this uh, boom we've seen in in sort of remote tools and cloud-based platforms that become now very important and make it much harder for those on-prem monolithic platforms to respond rapidly. Great. Well, th- Brian, I think that you've hit on my questions. I think we're out of time. So I want to thank you for being on the program and and, and uh, sharing your expertise and your experience and your yeah. view of the, of the market. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Craig. I really do. Hey, it's Craig again. I hope you got a lot out of that episode. I know I did. A couple of my top uh, points that I found in my notes from a, a conversation with Brian. Uh, the old monolithic systems of the past, taking uh, moving out of the way for API-based systems where everything becomes a service. I think that's where the future where instead of uh, one system does all, you've got the service you can plug into anything and build your own. A lot of firms we're talking to, you'll hear in the podcast in later weeks, have built their own systems, uh, either all or in part, uh, either on top of other ones or, or really from scratch, using these kind of tools. So it can be the future as firms look for more ways to differentiate themselves, and advisors are looking for ways to differentiate themselves, whether it's uh, other asset classes or uh, better trading faster execution, especially with volatile markets. So being able to do that with a, with a strong order management system is important. And be, be able to connect to the systems you want and the, and the other trading and all the different trading environments you need to in this market is also important as, as volatility heats up and, and volumes heat up. And finally, how do you evaluate a vendor's API stack? Now that everyone seems to have an API, how do you know what's the best? How do you know whether a vendor is qualified to be able to support your infrastructure or not. All good points. Uh, Again, I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode everywhere you can on social media. And I will talk to everyone next time.